0: What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode eight of the Stay Locked In podcast with Ben Jasek and Mark Poston. Our featured guest today is Canadian IFBB Pro
1: bodybuilder Ian Valier. Had a great time talking to Ian today. We covered a lot of topics, including the mindset of a professional bodybuilder. We also touched on his training and his nutrition. We hope you guys enjoy the show.
0: Welcome, everybody, to the Stay Locked In podcast. Really excited to uh, introduce our guest here today. We've got IFBB Pro Ian Valier, looking uh, about two and a half months deep into quarantine.
2: (laughs) Beard and the hair going here.
0: Yeah, looking awesome, man. How's it going going today?
2: Good, guys. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me. It's a a pleasure to be here.
0: Awesome, buddy. So we got some uh, lots of stuff to go through with you today. Mark and I are incredibly pumped to
1: have you on the show. And, uh, yeah, I'll let Mark kick it off for us. No, for sure, man. So Ian, would you say that, uh, throughout this quarantine here, are you somebody that was sort of prepared for this situation? Like you had the equipment established, you had everything ready to go, or have you been someone that's been kind of scrambling to get all the, uh, the necessary pieces together to keep your training going?
2: Yeah. I mean, I I think obviously with this, it was hard to be prepared for anyone, whether you had equipment or not. Right. Um, I didn't, um, you know, but there's perks of being a top level bodybuilder in town like <laughs> where i'm like one of three you know yeah <laughs> three live in my household so um it's you know it, there's always the one good thing is that there's always people that are willing to help out when situations like this come especially when they know uh you know how much of a an importance bodybuilding and training is to my lifestyle so um you know i had friends uh you know, and, and other people I knew kind of through the industry that reached out that had good home gyms or, you know, had equipment that we could borrow or whatever that kind of reached out and be like, hey, you know, I don't know what you have at your disposal, uh, but, you know, I have this, I have this, I have a gym in my basement for my wife, right? You know, I have a really good home gym. We train some clients out of that kind of thing. So, you know, between all those kind <clears> of <throat> people reaching out, you know, we've been able to to get a pretty good setup together, so.
0: Were, was it you that was telling me you met up with a guy who had like a, a warehouse full of 35 pound plates or something like that? You're like, these are definitely stolen. When I first went down. Chris and I were looking for plates because plates seemed to be like the biggest thing that was
2: like scarcity right off the top. So I found, I can't remember if it was Facebook marketplace or Kijiji. I think it was Kijiji uh, and found an ad and the guy was like, yeah, I have lots of plates. They were like these nice X-fit, you know, like polyurethane, like nice plates. Um, and so we go meet this guy, like, and for one, he gives us an address and I'm like, looking at the address, I'm like, oh, this is out in the middle of nowhere here. We <laughs> just a storage unit. So then I message him. I'm like, Hey man, I'm at the store. Like, is this a storage? unit? am I at the right place? He's like, yeah, it's unit, whatever, 160, whatever. So I'm like, okay. So I drive, I'm like, at this point I'm with Chris. I'm like, this is fucking weird. You know, yeah. <laughs> So we pull there. it's just some, you know, middle-aged guy with like, uh, a younger, a younger guy helping him, uh young guy who didn't speak any English. Uh, so, and then they open up this, this uh, storage unit. And I swear to God, floor to ceiling plates. And no, no 45s though. They'd sold those out right away. But I mean, he must've had, I mean, we bought eight pair, uh, eight total. So four pairs of 35s and a couple other ones. Uh, and I mean, he must've had like, it, it was like we took nothing. I mean, there was floor to see Like he must've had a few hundred, if not thousand plates in there. Brand wow. new in the box i'm like i don't want to know where you fucking got these but i'll gladly take them because the price was good i mean it was yeah, you know it was less than a, a dollar a pound for the plates which you know at yes. this time right now yes well so, uh, yes. you know so um so yeah we definitely got lucky on those and they're great plates um you know no 45s but i mean you get enough 35s weight is weight right so um, we do have 45s now but but yeah no it it, it was a, a kind of a weird weird place for sure so we just got in and got out and i paid them and we, we left so <laughs>
1: It's so funny how how fitness equipment has become like this underground black market hot commodity now. Like I've got an Olympic barbell and a bunch of bumper plates downstairs and we'll be working out in our parking garage and people will go walking by and you just see them light up. They're like, did you get that stuff recently? Like, where did you get that stuff? It's like on on the hush, on the sneak tip. Where can I get some fitness equipment? And it's it's so it's so hard to come by these days.
2: Yeah, no. So we were we were definitely lucky. And when I say we, I'm talking about me and, and Bumstead because I train with him every day. Yeah, uh, but yeah, no, we were definitely really lucky to, you know, to have a, a few friends that had some really, really good setups. So, um, you know, it was just the thing of like, obviously most people mm-hmm. that have these home gyms aren't lifting the kind of weight that Chris and I are generally lifting. So right. really it was just adding, you know, the plates to it. So we had sufficient weight to to do everything, mm-hmm. you know, obviously yeah. some stuff, you know, we're short the weights, but I mean, you know, with stuff you can, you can make exercises harder than just adding more weight. Right. So yeah. Um so that was really, you know, for some stuff we go like that, but for the most part, yeah, we're pretty we're pretty set up for sure. So
1: that's Good, awesome. Man. Well, I mean, it seems like we're heading in the right direction here. Things are starting to open back up. I don't know what it's like um out east there, but I mean this last May Long weekend, it seemed like all of Vancouver was like hold my beer to this social distancing thing. Oh, yeah. And every everybody was out, man. Everybody out it was, it's it was it's starting
2: to go that way here, especially as the weather like the last couple of days, the weather's definitely improved a lot. Um, you know, and you go out and you can see, like, you know, you go to the places, you know, like Costco or Home Depot, they're still like practicing the social distancing where there'll be people lined up outside and stuff like that. But I mean, there's people everywhere. I mean, you right. know, the, everyone's at the grocery store, everyone's out walking about, um, you know, we don't have any gyms or anything like that open here yet. Um, I, I know out in BC, you got had some, like I guess all West Coast Irons opened. Yeah. 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 Quebec has, has started to open some, so that's close. I mean, I guess if some days I want to rip over to Quebec, but uh, I mean, the setup we have for now is, is good enough
0: that I'm in no rush to, to try and run over to a gym. So, um, so yeah, no, it's been good. One thing that I Mark and I had a good laugh about that was uh, um, quarantine-related was your wife, Melissa, posted something <laughs> about how every time she goes to the grocery store, she needs to justify to people that she's not hoarding food. She's like, my <laughs> husband's a bodybuilder. he's like two pounds of potatoes every single I feel, day.
2: <laughs> I feel like that even when I, when I go, it's like, I'm, you know, because I'll go to Costco – uh, or something, and I, you know, I buy four or five packs of chicken, four or five packs of fish, a couple packs of steak, and to the average person, this is months' worth of food, you know? Yeah, but I'm cool. like, you know, this is not even 10 days' worth of food for me. I don't <laughs> to do anything mean, you know? So at least I'm not there, like, buying 4,000 things of toilet paper, but uh, yeah. I mean, I definitely eat a lot of food, so to the average person. I think most people, when they see me, like, where Melissa, they see her, they don't really why she's buying so much food. When, at least when you see me and I'm 300 pounds, like makes sense. <laughs> hey, maybe this guy eats, you know, so yeah, yeah. Hey, get away with it a bit
1: better than she does. That's for sure. Right on, man. So like I, I have a, a lot of questions. I've become yeah. a, a bodybuilding fan over the past few years. Uh, I mean, I've been a fitness professional for almost uh, almost 10 years now. Um, throughout my, throughout my career, I'd say like the primary focus for me was on strength and conditioning a lot of the time. And it was when I moved here, uh, to Vancouver, uh, I met Ben, he, he was competing at the time, uh, kind of introduced me a little bit more to bodybuilding. Um, I started watching the Olympia. I started following bodybuilders on, um, on social media. And I really, I really just, the sport fascinates me in so many ways, Um, And I would have to say that the biggest thing that interests me about bodybuilding is the psychology behind it, because as I've matured in my in my fitness career, I've developed a really good understanding of really what it takes and goes into building a competitive top level physique. And the, the, the biggest factor that I see a lot of the time is, I mean, it's genetics, a lot of it, but it's the six inches of real estate in between your ears. It's it's the it's the big separator between somebody who has that top level of physique and, and somebody who just like wants to work out and, and look good. Um, and we all start
2: Sorry to interject it. Yeah. I think the biggest things where that really separates, especially in bodybuilders, too, is when it comes down to conditioning in the show. Yeah. I mean, you can get you can get big doing a half effort, the effort. You know, yeah. you can slack off on your diet a bit in the offseason. You know, you can take lots of drugs. You can do these things, lift heavy weights and you can get gigantic. But to really get, like, nasty, nasty peel, that, yeah. take, that takes a little bit of something different. So For I think sure. that's where the big separator is. And when you're talking about, you know, top-level bodybuilders, I mean, that's really – and also, like, genetics only helps so much with getting right. lean. You know, yeah. like, obviously, you know, your caloric deficits and these things, you know, how much you're going to push yourself into that extreme is going to – a lot more where, you know, muscle shape and and roundness and size will have a lot more reflection in your genetic, you know, composition. But, uh, when it comes to just getting peeled, I think that's just, that's just all, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as, as young men, we all started working out, and I feel like we probably all had consistent motivations for it. It was a self-image thing. It was a confidence thing. There was sports in there. There was there was girls. I mean, there was a lot of things that pushed us into the weight room initially. And I feel like people, we all, like there's a society, as like society has this idealized image of what a muscular male physique, like a good-looking muscular male physique looks like. And, and as a as a professional bodybuilder, at some point in time, you've you've blown through that brick wall, and you and you've surpassed that substantially and and you to develop that that massive large physique you know not a lot of people understand like the the, the mentality and the mindset of why somebody goes there so i, I the thing that kind of interests me is like at what point in time in your life did you decide that you were going to put your head down and really build yourself up to be like a, a top level physique was it a was it a moment in time that you were like this is what i want to do or was it like a slow slide that you just found yourself getting there. I don't
2: think any, any any one moment moment. moment because your, your self image and your perspective of things is always changing as you're changing. Right. So like what I, I remember this very distinctly. I mean, um, the, when I started bodybuilding and I talked about this with my mom and, you know, when I said I was, you know, I want to get into bodybuilding and do shows and you know, all this stuff. And she kind of was like, okay, well, what's, what's your end goal with this. And at the time I said, okay, I want to be until I'm 230 pounds. Like how fast am I now, you know? So it's like, yeah. I've been, I haven't been I been 230 in a decade almost now, you know, <laughs> that light in almost 10 years. So, you know, it's, it's really, it was just kind of like a gradual process of, you know, as the goal is ever changing and your perspective of what muscularity is, is ever changing. You know, mm-hmm. I remember guys that I see at the gym now, when I started training, I thought they were Ronnie Coleman, you know? Uh, and I, and I look at them now and I'm like, this is just an average dude to me now, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and their physique has still slowly progressed in that time. But, you know, as as I've been around, you know, guys with elite level physiques and my perspective of myself has changed, it's kind of been an ever, you know, evolving, uh, you know, image of all that. So I don't think there was any really one specific point where I was like, hey, this is, you know, it was more like I want to improve from where I am. And that's always ch- changing every day. You know, I'm right. a little better today than I was yesterday. And then tomorrow, I want to be a little better than I was today. And that's just constant day after day after day. And I think that's. really what it comes down to right
0: like Ian you and I have known each other for a long time and I've kind of watched your bodybuilding career progress from the time where you were doing like the Ottawa show winning the overall at that to like the Ontario uh, Toronto Pro show as an amateur and I, I can like recall your physiques over like throughout the time and as somebody who was like close to you it's like okay that was always like my biggest friend like yeah. Even even when you were an amateur, it's like okay. If I were to think of the biggest guy I know, yeah, Ian Valier. Yeah. And as even as far back as like high school, you know, you were the the first guy that we all knew that started like really hitting the weights hard. The first guy that started getting to like supplementation hard. Yeah. Um, and then you were the one that kind of like really continued with that. And over the course of time, even when we were younger, like late teens, early twenties, you were always that that guy with the most size. Yeah. And now to see ten years later where that's taken you is it's incredibly impressive, you know, in terms of the, just the constant progression. And I think around the, the bodybuilding industry, that's something that you specifically are really recognized for is just the fact that you, um, you know, you're, you're consistently progressing with your physique, with your placings. Um, I know a lot of bodybuilders, like they, they find it really hard to take that time off and just lay a really strong foundation of building mass. And you were a person who did that over the, I think it was what, close to two years you took off of competing just to add size on
2: season. When you come down to competition, the competition would have been yeah 18 months or so, but that comes right back to what, what you were saying there about the mindset of it. I mean, that's the the consistency is a mindset. That's a choice that you have to wake up and make every single day. You know, do I wake up every day and I'm like, Oh, I want to eat six meals today. I want to train today. I want, obviously I don't want to ever do that really. I mean, you know, Mm -hmm. I, I do. I love training. Yes. Has my, perspective of of training changed as become this has become more of a job and less of a hobby absolutely um but do i still love it of course but you know there's there's more days than there's not where i'm just like ah, i'm too tired for this my body hurts or you know oh. i don't I'm, I'm i'm not hungry right now i could skip a meal but those are the choices and, and that really comes down to the mindset that is the huge differentiation in in levels of bodybuilders in my opinion you know is consistency because people are looking for short term return which you'll never get in bodybuilding. There's there's no quick quick way about this. And and consistency is the only key to continual progression. If you take six days out of seven where someone's taking seven days out of seven on that perfection, they're gonna get there way faster than you are. You know? Right. So you, you think that it's 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 not a all in one day. It's a it's a perfect every day. And I think that's mm-hmm. really what it comes down to. And that's that's a hundred percent mental state for sure.
1: Yeah. Um yeah. Yeah. You can go ahead. You can go ahead. <laughs> so you mentioned, you mentioned your mom in there, you sat down with your mom at a certain point in time and, and you had that conversation with her about, this is what I want to do. Like, how, how was your family's reaction <laughs> to something? Like, this? like, do you come, do you come from a background of people who like have an understanding of, of, uh, of fitness and, and bodybuilding, or was this something that you kind of had to really work with, r- like work with your family and your family and the people that were close with you uh, to kind of like,
2: yeah, no, I'm, both my parents are very fit uh, and have always been active when I was growing up. It was always something I could look to, you know, to emulate in terms of work ethic and consistency and things like that. You know, my parents, as long as I've known, my mom's always run and weight train. I mean, when I started weight training, it's because my mom was going to the YMCA here in Ottawa and I would just like tag along even when I was 13, to, you know, 12, 13 years old, right? Yeah. So, you know, that, that kind of foundation was definitely laid by my parents. Um, you know, from an understanding perspective, uh, you know, I have extremely understanding parents. I mean, I've been very, very blessed. I mean, especially with my mom, you know, she's never questioned anything I've done. She's completely trusted my judgment as a man on anything I've wanted to do uh, and and knows that I'm generally doing what I think is best for me and, and my career or whatever my goal is. Um, you know, are there obviously things that she, I do that she's probably in her mind like, geez, I wish he wouldn't do that. Obviously, she's a mother. That's that's <laughs> part of her, her job. Right. Uh, but no, I, she's been great. I mean, my mom has been to every single show I've ever done in my life. Like That's no matter nice. where I've gone, I've flown to Portugal, to every state in the U.S. I mean, Spain, you know, the UK, wherever you can think of, she's been to every show I've done Mexico, you know, um, you know, she just loves, and honestly, she's become a huge fan of bodybuilding now. I mean, you go look at her on Instagram. She follows probably more bodybuilders than I do.
1: Uh,
2: <laughs> she's up to date with the bodybuilders and the news and, you know, kind of follows it all. And she, I mean, she'll probably watch this podcast. I mean, You know, she's really into that world now and has a very, very good understanding of kind of the life and the world that goes into it. Um, You know, my dad was a little I wouldn't say more difficult because it was never difficult, um, but just didn't quite understand the same. I mean, my dad is a lot older than my mom. My dad is in his mid 70s now, so he's coming from a, a very different like generation and mindset of of all these things and kind of was like, well, I don't don't really get it where, you know, my mom is still like, like I said, my mom's on Instagram, you know, she's a lot like in a very different hit generation of like, you know, keeping up with the times with the fitness and and all this kind of stuff. So, um, you know, she had a very different understanding and and kind of base for it with their, than my dad did. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was never difficult at any point. I mean, you know, my dad, obviously there's been conversations where he's been like, you know, kind of like, what are you doing? Oh, be careful with yourself and this kind of stuff. But it's never been like, a you know, a a difficulty at any point, there's never been any like clashes on it or or anything like that. You know, I've been, I've been extremely lucky to have, you know, very supportive, very understanding parents with this for sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm, I come from a family, both my parents are accountants and I mean, I'm I'm (laughs) by no means am I, dramatically oversized I stepped on the scale and I think I was 225 the other day but it seems like every time I come home and I've sized up a little bit it's like another conversation that needs to be had about <laughs> yeah like, where are yeah. you going what are you doing with it's this It's funny for me too because
2: like, I see it even with my mom now how desensitized to muscle she's become because she <laughs> will be like yeah I saw this guy at the gym he was saying he knew you blah 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 blah. you know he came up and said are you Ian's mom and I was she was like yeah I was like well what he look like like was he big and she's like, well, not really. Like, you know, he had a bit of muscle. And then she'll, uh, then she'll finally, like, tell me, figure out who the name was. I'll be like, oh, was it this guy? And it'll be like, it'll be like 290. Like, <laughs> mom, this isn't a not big guy. This is a fucking humongous guy. You know, you've been to too many pro bodybuilding shows. If you think this is just an average guy now, you know. So I always find it funny when she, you know, the perspective is, like I said, I mean, going back to, you know, with the evolution for myself. I mean, you can really see it. I mean, especially dictated right there with you know, yeah. how the, 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 the perspective of things is, is ever changing, right. You know, the more you're exposed to it. So, um, you no, know, but yeah,
1: it's, it's great. Social media plays such a big role in that. I feel, I mean, one of the things that I love to do is Olympic weightlifting. And I, I spend a lot of time, uh, training the clean and jerk of the snatch and, uh, I'll be in my gym working out and, you know, uh, I will have on the bar what somebody else considers to be a, a big amount of weight. Right. Yeah. But, Every single person that I follow on social media is somebody who lifts significantly, significantly more weight than I do at a much lighter body weight. And so, like, I have somebody come up to me and they're like, oh, my God, that's so impressive. Like, how do you do that? And just in the back of my head, I always have this thing. I was like, you have no, you really have no idea. <laughs> the fact that this, like, really isn't that impressive. Yep. It's like that big fish in a very small pond type thing. Sure. And, and social media has just expanded that and blown it up. I mean, you have access. Exactly. Go ahead, go ahead sir. No, I was just saying, I mean, you have access to like all the top level people and it's in it's 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 a good thing and I feel like it's a bad thing at the same time. I mean, it's a good thing in the sense that if you're a strong person and you can look to these people for motivation and, 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 you know, see it as a good thing and something to aspire to, that's fantastic. But I mean, I, I feel like for a lot of people, it can also be a bad thing because they're constantly comparing themselves to other people when it's really like an apples and oranges type comparison. Right. right. Um, yeah. And it's, it's an interesting dynamic that we're seeing play out nowadays.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. Like, like you said, I mean, there's pluses and minuses. I mean, you know, for a lot of people, there's a lot of good information at their fingertips, but there's also a lot of people that have no right giving information. That's that
1: are so, it's so true. Uh,
2: you know, and, and also, like, you know, going back to the perspective thing, I mean, when you're having, you know, top level bodybuilders right on your Instagram homepage every day, that becomes a, a norm for people. And that's what they right. compare themselves. I mean, even I struggle with that today. I mean, I'm a top 20 bodybuilder in the world, you know. But I'll go on my page and I'll see, a, you know, top a picture of 1998 Ronnie Coleman or <laughs> Cutler. And I'm like, fuck, I suck. You know? I'm like, what am I comparing it to? I'm comparing it to two of the best bodybuilders in the history the of the time. planet. That's not what you compare yourself to, you know. But when it's in your face all the time, I'm seeing, you know, Brandon Curry, these top level guys all the time on my feed. It's like you really start to, you know, get hard on yourself with that stuff. so But like you said, it's an apples and oranges you know and it's 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 completely
0: relative to to where the state is right so um something that i've seen is like you know having when i was back when i was competing um i was also living with my girlfriend at the time who was competing in bikini mm-hmm. and i don't know if this is across the board for guys and girls but from what i've seen definitely with women is like with social media when they're in that mode of prep the main thing that they kind of like um like punish themselves with almost is looking at other girls and how they're progressing and how, Oh, look at how lean she is. Look at, look at her shoulders. Look at this, look at that. And they're like mentally psyching themselves out of, of success on the day of the show and like of success in their prep on a day to day basis, leading up to that, based on how other women look on social media. And the the whole kind of nature of this sport is it doesn't matter how you look three weeks out, two weeks out, one week out, it matters how you look the day of the show when you step on stage. And it's, I found it incredibly frustrating at the time because I I was trying to communicate that to to my girlfriend at the time. And it was just like in one year, out the other, the fact that like, well, this girl looks good now, so she's probably gonna show up and win. And it's like, put your head down, get the work done, show up and do your best on the day of the show. And that's all you can really ask of yourself.
2: Yeah, I mean, you you took the words right out of my mouth. When you started that, I was literally gonna say, you know, all that matters is what you look like the day of the show. But, you know, it's so easy to get in that in that loop of, you know, seeing people and and saying that they're going to be better just because of how they look. I mean, let's be serious. A lot of the bodybuilders you see online that are, you know, look the best in their pictures and they're lean all year round are absolutely not the best uh, yeah. competitive bodybuilders. I mean, for example, look at Sean Roden. Sean Roden, any other time other than stage looks like a bag of shit. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I could take. Five guys from the gym here in Ottawa that probably look better and leaner and more muscular than Sean Roden every other day of the year. But the one day that matters, he's there and he wins the Olympia. So, I mean, it really means nothing. I mean, if but it's also relative to your goals. I mean, if we're talking about someone that's not trying, aspiring to be a competitive bodybuilder, then, yeah, what you look like all the time is going to be a lot more important to you because that's going to be something you want to maintain and, you know have that look all the time. If you're trying to be the absolute best competitor you can be, then you need to take that out of your mind, take a step back and only worry about that one day. And I mean, Mm -hmm. and this is also a thing that I think interjects with a lot of people's success in their preps is they're trying to push to keep up with someone else that isn't them. You know, and for, for me to look like, you know, say someone else, another good body, like someone like James Holland said, like what he looks like at six weeks out and what I look like could be vastly different. But if I'm trying to look like what he looks like that could be a hindrance to me if he's super lean at seven eight weeks out and i'm like hey i need to push the the pace here to be as lean as he is i mean that could be detrimental to my prep not positive right so i mean you need to let things kind of take their their progression in the in the right manner i mean you know being super lean far out is not necessarily a good thing i mean for yeah. some people it is for some people it's not i mean it really depends on you know knowing your physique and you know how to optimize those things in a prep but um, but, you know, you can't you can't chase progress photos. You need to chase stage luck. And that, that's very important for sure.
0: And even in those circumstances, too, like you have a coach with a plan and a strategy. He has a coach with a plan and a strategy based on your body specifically, I would hope. And uh, so, to again, coming back to this point, we've been kind of hammering home here is like It's apples and oranges. You can't compare one to the to the next.
2: Well, this is another thing that I think. To touch on too why I mean I know a lot of people don't but I think the, the huge importance and why I personally have always used a coach even though I think I have a pretty good knowledge base and understanding for these concepts myself is for this exact reason I mean it's so easy to get in that that mindset of like trying to play games and comparing yourself to other people that when you have someone with a very good objective point of view that understands your physique and and knows the progressions that should be occurring at certain time frames uh, I think that's really important for them to keep your head screwed on straight right so like. When I'd be six weeks out, I'm like, shit, I'm not lean enough. I need to up the cardio down the food. And I would just wither away and look small and stringy and flat. I mean, that's not beneficial. Where he could look at that and be like, okay, we're on perfect track here. Maybe Mm -hmm. we're actually a little ahead. You know, let's get some more food. And you let's do these, you know, let's optimize your training. Uh, You know, there's things like this that where I could be going the complete opposite direction of that because I'm looking at somebody else. Right. So, um, you know, that's, that's why I think a big, a a big portion, especially for me uh, with hiring a coach is, is just someone to keep my head screwed on straight. Right. You know, obviously I want someone that I feel I can learn from, um, you know, I, I always like to be learning, uh, you know, so I'm always trying to work with someone that I think is one smarter than me and two kind of has a different outlook on things that I've done in the past. So, you know, I, I worked with Matt Jansen for a long time, three or four years, um, you know, and we had some really good success. I mean, I qualified for my first Olympia there. Um, but when I felt there was a point where not that I wasn't learning anymore, but where we kind of reached an end. Um, you know, with the progression of things, then I felt it was some you know time to re- you know try- reach out to a new avenue. So I started working with Patrick, who's a completely different outlook of things from Matt, takes completely different, you know, perspective on these things. Uh and just kind of one to expand my knowledge base and two, you know, obviously try some different things with my physique. And I can kind of be like, okay, well, this worked, this didn't. And you know, I already have the foundation, what I've done with Matt, that I can also, you know, tell with Patrick, and we can kind of come to a conclusion of what we think is the best.
1: You know, room to approach these things, right? Mm-hmm. You're just constantly building on top of that. You know, coaching, coaching is such an art. Uh, like, uh, coaching, I feel like it's this combination of, of your education and your experiences that you combine together to impart onto somebody else. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I, I guess the question I have for you is uh, as a young bodybuilder, what are some of the mistakes and kind of pitfalls that you feel like you experienced that really contributed to your coaching style and technique right now?
2: Hmm, that's a good question. I mean, this all comes back to one. I think the consistency, which is I think definitely the biggest pitfall I see with other people, um, not necessarily with myself. Um, and, and two, I think I think a lot of people just need to, to keep in mind the long picture of things. You know, right. I think too people you know get consumed in the short game, and this comes back to like we said, what you know Ben said about me taking the time off when it was necessary. You know, people get in that cyclical competing every year, every year. I need to do this show. I need to do this show, which is not usually beneficial. I mean, you know, if you're already a top level athlete and you have that foundation built and you're just kind of chipping away, sure. But if you're trying to reach the upper echelons, I mean, you need to give your body that adequate time to grow. Right. Um, and that's I definitely put it down to my clients as well. Is not rushing that process. You know, yeah. um, if I if I get a client and I look at them, I'm like, there's you know, if your goal is to turn pro in a year that's not realistic i mean this and if it is then you need to not compete for this next year you need to spend a whole entire year you know progressively you know working in, in these steps to to grow and to add new tissue mm-hmm. so then we can come down if you want to do three shows between now and then you're going to make no progression i mean we're going to constantly be in some kind of depleted you know deficit state i mean for you to add new tissue is going to be very very difficult so um, i think that's the biggest thing is just not rushing the process and within that staying consistent in the process and keeping that that long-term goal in mind and I think this also goes into to off season training, absolutely especially. I think so many people are extremely consistent and neglig- or, and diligent, sorry, when it comes to being in their contest prep, but then the off season comes along and it's just like a fucking free for all you know like <laughs> this is my off season that that title i i I don't mind using it because I know what I'm saying when I use it, but so many people I think use it with the wrong intent behind it. They literally mean an off season, and is there a time to give your body some rest and, and maybe take a little time off training? Uh, you know, or to give your body a little, you know, break from super high protein intake or some stuff like that. Absolutely. But I don't, th- I think an off season should be taken just as seriously, if not more seriously than a contest prep should. Cause I mean, that's the time when you're laying all the foundation that you're going to display on stage. You know, the prep is just losing body fat at that point, you know, mm-hmm, yeah. uh, but the the time where you're adding the tissue and making all the progress in your strength uh, and all these things is going to be done in an off season. Right. So um, I think people need to take that, that time a lot, a lot more seriously, for sure. I mean, yeah. you know, if you're, you know, training is half-assed and you're eating McDonald's every other day and you know, you think this is going to make you a better bodybuilder. It's absolutely not. So is <laughs> <laughs> one thing I, I really want to hammer home to a lot of people is to to take that time. And I mean, I think proof is in the pudding. If in, even just using myself as an example, you know, the, the, te- the years that I spent those off seasons, a hundred percent dedicated. I made more progress there than I had in a decade prior, you know, of doing shows year to year. Like, I mean, the 2017 to 2018 year, um, that one full year where I didn't compete, I treated as if I was competing. I mean, we went through the same, you know, proper progressive cycles with everything, with training, with diet, with everything like you would in a prep, but was in a surplus in in trying to progress within my lifts, progress within, you know, getting as much food in as possible while maintaining a good body composition. Um, You know, so these things I treated at the exact same, you know, I wouldn't have, anything off diet unless i was instructed to um you know and i and i added you know 20 pounds of stage weight in one year which i hadn't when i started competing i think i was 207 my first show in 2010 and i turned pro in 24 so i, I guess i did my first pro show in mm. orlando i was only 230 so we're only talking 20 pounds in that you know seven years there five years whatever it is yeah. five years. so where i did that in one off and by being 100 percent diligent so um, you know, am I saying if you take a year off, are you going to add twenty pounds of tissue? No, that's obviously you know a little different. Uh, but it's just showing that you know that time and the consistency is is so crucial, and that cru- that t- that consistency needs to be three sixty five, not
0: twelve weeks. You know, yeah, I can't I can't help but feel like at least for amateurs, like the part of the lack of ownership that goes into that off season as well is like you know, when you're in prep and you're getting leaner and leaner and your physique's looking better and better, that's like so sexy. And you can post <laughs> it on Instagram every single day, ab check. And like, here's my progress pictures, all this stuff. Like, honestly, man, there's nothing sexy about being in the off season. There's nothing sexy about having a, like the extra fluff on you. And, uh, it's just motivating when I mean, you're seeing that week to week in a prep,
2: like you're you know, body fat changes occur at a lot faster rate and and more noticeable rate than muscle and tissue gains happen. Absolutely. I mean, You know, you lose a pound or two pounds of fat in a week, you can see drastic changes. You can feel it. Your midsection will feel tighter. You can see more separation. That's very noticeable with a very short time. We're adding one pound of muscle. You might not see any difference. Adding two pounds of muscle, I mean, that might, you know, might not even see, you know, so um, until you strip that body fat away in the prep. So, um, you know, it's, it's something that people really lose sight of and, you know, they're, they, people are so result driven for motivation, you know that when they they're not seeing that you know that acute response and and to to motivate them every day, uh, mm-hmm. like fat loss, it's very hard for them to keep sight and to keep motivated and to you know really push through those times where yeah, it's like you said, it's not pretty. I mean, you know, having a little extra fluff and you know not posting your you know awesome Instagram shots all the time, you know and I think that's also a huge going back to the social media, I mean I think that's that's absolutely a huge detriment to bodybuilding is people having this need. Not need, but a feeling to need, I guess, to stay in that almost show ready composition to to look impressive for other people, you know, Um, which which is craziness to me. I mean, I I think if you want to do that, take as many pics as possible during your prep. (laughs) then File them for a year and post them all year. (laughs) Social media is a farce. I mean, if you want to pretend you're 2% body fat all year, then take a million pictures when you are 2% body fat. Don't try and stay like that all year or you'll absolutely never progress.
0: Yeah, I think another thing that needs to be said here about just taking the time is um, I find amateurs to be in this kind of like sprint to get a pro card Mm -hmm. to achieve to achieve the pro league to get the status to be able to put IFBB pro in your Instagram profile stuff like that. And one of the things that I really learned through competing was like, you just really need to learn more so to embrace that journey as an amateur. enjoy the time you spend as an amateur because statistically once you become a pro you'll probably never win a show ever again (laughs) for most people when they turn pro their careers over that's it
2: (laughs) i mean let's be serious if you have all these shows throughout the year unless you're someone probably consistently placing at least at least in the top eight i mean that's really that's really it for you you know i mean if you're coming last call at every show in a pro show i mean you're it's it's going to be very hard for you to progress from there um you know, so I, I think a, a lot of guys really get, get stuck in that trap for sure. Yeah.
1: So, you know, I want to talk to you a little bit about your training. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like um, uh, from externally when I when I look at bodybuilding, people typically fall into two categories. They either have a very, very structured training program where they've got reps and weight and very specific progressions that they work through or they need a little bit more a loosely structured program where they can kind of go into the gym and they can kind of pick and choose exercises on a certain day. So I was just kind of wondering like categorically, which one do you fall into? Are you very, very regimented with your training or is it sort of an auto-regulated day-to-day type thing for you? I mean, there's a bit of both in there for sure. I mean,
2: I keep, I think a big thing and which a lot of people do too willy nilly is switching exercises around and not giving themselves adequate time to progress within the certain exercises. If I do incline bench press one week and then incline dumbbell press and incline Smith press, like, and I'm switching every week, how can I really gauge my progress in my incline bench press? Right. So I mean, something like that. And I, I usually will keep in, especially my main moving exercises like that. Like my main compound exercises, I'll keep them in as as long as I can. So I feel like I'm not progressing in the movement anymore and then I'll switch them out. So yeah, there is a a certain system within that, within certain exercises, especially with things that I'm really trying to progress in. So I can gauge the progress. Like for me, I used incline bench press because, I mean, my chest has been definitely the thing I've tried to improve the most, um, you know, over the last few years. So that was something that I really incorporated as my primary mover was my incline barbell press. So uh, for me, you know, and I made leaps and bounds in my strength with that. And then that also correlated into the look of the muscle. So um, for that, you know, I would say I think there's a time to have some variance and, and variables, you know, and switch things up like that. Um, and have a little bit of looseness with your training i think you know you, you don't want to make training too stagnant but i also think you need to give your body adequate time to see progression within a lift
1: uh, and not kind of you know cut yourself short on that by switching things up all the time for sure so and when you're talking about that progression are you thinking more along an intensity guidelines or more of a volume progression or is it a hybridized standpoint well, right
2: is is always i think especially for those always going to be a, a constant you know i, I want intensity to be a constant in that, and that I'm always trying to work within the most amount of intensity possible for those exercises for sure. Um, you know, and and not necessarily only with volume. Well, I guess, yeah, with volume, um, you know, whether it's, you know, okay. And this is a a tough spot because this isn't going to be the case for everyone, but what I'm speaking about myself, there's going to be a point with these exercises when in your career, you're going to get to a point where you're no longer getting stronger. You can't just get stronger forever. I can't right. just climb back 500 pounds, 600 pounds, 700 pounds, pound, eight. You know what I mean? That's not real life. You can't just continually progress within strength. So mm-hmm. that's what you need to have some other type of stimulus in there, whether it's, you know, doing super slow eccentric contractions on things, you know, adding in intensifiers like rest, pause sets, or just, try, you know, doing whatever you can to make that exercise as difficult as possible with as much weight as possible to keep in the rep range that you're trying to keep, right? So, right. Um, you know, that this is a, a prime example for me, where you know, where I got, you know, this off season, where I worked up to, you know, as got as strong as I possibly could in that exercise. And then there was, you know, a month where I wasn't progressing anymore in my incline bench. I got to where I could do, you know, five plates for six reps, five reps on the incline bench. Uh, and then that was it. And it also started to that, that get to a point where I started to get weaker in it. You know, right. I kind of hit peak and I started to come back down. So and then that's when we kind of back off the weight a bit, you know, use a bit more intensifiers, focus on super slow reps or, you know, do different techniques with their cluster sets, whatever it would be. Um, you know, to increase the intensity and increase the volume in that exercise without adding more weight. So, yeah,
1: I mean, I find that fascinating. There's so many different points of view out there from a bodybuilding perspective on what's the best way to to add mass to the frame. I mean, one of the arguments that you see people go back and forth on is the, the importance of having a free weight versus supported surface uh, exercise stimulus within the workout. And I mean, there's you know, with all the stuff that came out with uh, Ronnie Coleman, for example, like seeing him in the wheelchair and like seeing how physically broken down his body was, I felt like that was a big catalyst for that conversation, especially within the bodybuilding community of what's the what's the right way to do this? And a lot of people said that the way that Ronnie trained was over the top in terms of like the intensity and the free weight that he used. Um, I mean, you see bodybuilders like, you know, think, for example, sorry, yeah, go
2: ahead. I think that the biggest issue with Ronnie here, and I, I'm speaking completely out of speculation, is I don't think the exercises, the intensity were the issue. I think it was the constant stress on his body, even when he needed to lay off a bit. I think he was the kind of guy that like, you know, even when, you know, he'd be slightly injured, he'd train through it. And you're compounding injury on top of injury on top of injury until you're at a point where you're now you're arthritic and your tendons and ligaments are all completely destroyed. Uh, You know, and then that breakdown obviously then compounded with age. Um, you know, Mm -hmm. to really toll after his bodybuilding career was over. So I think for him, that's, it's it's a little different. I think a lot of people could benefit from training with that intensity and that, and that kind of gusto, but, um, or that level of volume. But I think, I think you need to be a lot more smart with your training. I think Ronnie was, I think, you know, having that balls to walls mindset is good to an extent, you know, I think if you're taking every single set you do to complete maximum failure like that even when you you know it's not the best idea is absolutely not a positive thing. So yeah. um I just th- need to be a little more smart in your training than he was but um I think the principles I mean you're also talking about Ronnie's a hard one to use because Ronnie could have you know walked the dog and been 300 pounds. you know so <laughs> it's like you're talking about like the the 0.00001% yeah. genetic anomaly elite here you know yeah. people that look at weights and grow so um yeah. It's, it's, he's a tough one to use for sure.
1: Yeah. But I mean, you have people that will argue that you need to back squat and you need to deadlift, uh, you know, you need like full systemic stress to, in order to stimulate that growth. And then you've got other people who completely disagree with that. They believe in like lots of time under tension, um, you know, uh, uh lactate training, complete muscle fatigue training with like much smaller percentages on supported surfaces. So if you were to break down your training in terms of like the amount of, emphasis that you put on heavier, higher intensity, free weight exercises relative to the supported services, uh, assistance, accessory, isolation, where would you going to break that down?
2: Hmm. I mean, I think there's a time and a place for everything, right? I mean, I think you also need to go working within the individual. I think if someone, you know, is not getting optimal results out of a barbell squat and all it's doing is causing knee pain, um, you know, or it's taken away from other exercises. I think then, yeah, like there's no reason to not just scrap that, you know, I don't think you're locked into any certain thing. I mean, I, I barely ever barbell squat. I mean, and I've made great progression in my legs, you know, but there's also some exercise like that, that I am a firm believer, but it's also completely within the individual. So, you know, <laughs> I, I think you really need to look at, you know, utilize all the exercises in, in the system, and then kind of narrow down based off what you see the progress in. You know, yeah. I don't think there's any like completely set answer to this. I mean, you know, I obviously like to use as many of those exercises as possible. But I think machines and things also have a, a really good place, especially in bodybuilding training. I think if you're talking powerlifting, things like that, maybe not as as much. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in bodybuilding training, you know, uh, you know, with these machines that are really locked into certain, you know, really isolated movements and stuff like that. Uh, and a lot easier to control and, and, you know, target the, the muscle at hand is, is definitely very beneficial. So, um, yeah. you know, I think there's a, a kind of a mix that you need to have. I mean, for 90% of people, if it was like, do a flat barbell bench press or like a hammer strength machine press for a bodybuilding perspective, I would take the hammer strength machine press 10 times out of 10. You know, most people, when they're doing bench press or one probably going to hurt themselves because you know, it's probably the most proponent exercise for causing pec tears for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are using 20% peck when they're actually doing a flat bench press. Mm-hmm. You know, the interior delts, I mean, if they're really good at it, they're using their fucking lats. <laughs> you know, there's so many other assistors that can be in there where, you know, it's uh, you're a lot more locked into that position. You can really isolate the chest a lot more, uh, I think, with, with less thought behind it. I think if you're an elite lifter, you should know how to bench press and utilize your chest. Yeah. If you're someone that's not, I think that's going to be a little more difficult, especially if it's something that's a lacking part for you. And I think the machines have a lot more more place in the training for sure.
1: Yeah, no, it's just interesting to hear your perspective as always, you know. It's there's always a nuanced perspective with these things. And the answer for this is always going to be it depends on the individual. Like, you know, as a coach, you understand that there's no there's no one exercise that has to be in there. If somebody doesn't like an exercise and there's a substitute for it, like, of course, that's going to be something that's.
2: And Oh, sorry. I'll interject there. I, I think with liking an exercise, too, I think generally people don't do the exercises that they that they don't like them, but they it's because they should be doing them. Yeah, yeah. those are the ones that work <laughs> the best. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And they haven't done it because it's the the most taxing they find. So they've mm. kind of strayed away from it. But it's generally the most taxing because of some kind of inferior, inferiority in that range of motion, right? So, right. I mean, for me, like for me, I've always hated doing one arm dumbbell rows. I don't know why it it. I could do thirty sets of deadlifts and not be as tired as doing like one set of one arm dumbbell rows. It just kills me cardiovascularly I just like everything about it I've hated but I know in my mind that this is I mean from a back perspective I definitely something I can improve on and I know that is an exercise that I definitely should be doing and then when I do incorporate consistently I do see the results but it's easy to get in that kind of routine of like okay do the exercise I'm the most comfortable with and I enjoy the most but that's generally not the most optimal for your training so I think there's a there's a balance there I think you need to find exercises that you enjoy or like from a perspective of feeling the most, because a lot of these exercises, you know, people like, because they feel like I know with Melissa, there's a lot of exercise she doesn't like to do. Cause she's like, well, I can't feel this. It's like, okay, but you need to be able, you, you need to work within that exercise to be able to build that mind muscle connection a bit. If you're just, every time you do it, you're like, well, I don't feel it. Well, you're never going to feel it if you don't try. Um, so then you get back into the routine of doing the same exercises all the time if you're not progressing with those exercises, you obviously need to have some change in there. So, um, you know, I think there's a kind of a a mix of both that needs to occur there for sure.
0: Yeah, I I can kind of speak to that as well. So back when Mark started doing my programming in the fall, Uh, I was telling him, he's like, he's like, how often are you doing lunges? And I'm like, man, I never do lunges, hate lunges. They hurt my toe. I I had a broken toe one time, like, and I had like a laundry list of reasons why I wasn't lunging it. And he's like, all right, starting now you're lunging. And he's like, basically quit being a bitch about it. And like, since then, man, we've like, we've had lunges in my program probably one to two times a week. And even through quarantine, like that's been a huge staple in my leg training is lunging. Just different variations of it, and now it's something that I love doing, and I would never remove lunges from my programming. Again, I've seen great development in like in my glutes and my quads, just everywhere. And it's like that saying of like, do the hard stuff. Yeah, is yeah. that usually the exercises that you're most uncomfortable with, or you've told yourself a reason as to why you shouldn't do that? Those are the ones you're going to benefit from the the most.
2: And let's be serious. When that comes down to it, that's probably going to end up for most people being the lunges, the barbell squats. Yeah, anything, you
1: know, anything, When you really break it down,
2: it's going to be the hardest exercises people don't want to do. Yeah, most of the time, you know. Um, you know, obviously there's going to be people that just love deadlifting, love barbell squatting. But going back to what we said earlier, because people are result driven, the people that generally love those exercises are the ones that have done them consistently, seen really good progression in their physiques or your yeah. strength from these exercises and have been motivated by that to continue seeing them. So, um, you know, I think people just need to give all these exercises an the adequate chance, you know? And uh, you know, obviously if you've done something for a month, two months, and you're still not feeling any contraction there, uh, you know, you just think it's not working for you, then yeah, absolutely scrap it. I don't think you should keep, you know, beating a dead horse on exercise that you think you're getting nothing out of, you know, I don't think you should sit there for two years, five years, 10 years, wasting time on an exercise that you're not necessarily feeling. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think you need to give yourself an adequate chance and try and get out of that monotony of like, okay, I don't like this exercise. And then you end up just doing the same exercises forever and the same rep range and the same, you know, I mean, how many guys do we know that we see? I mean, perfect example is my buddy, Mike Saunders, who Ben knows. Yeah. This guy, he's very strong at certain exercises, very weak at others, and he does the exact same thing every day, every time he works out, and his physique has looked the exact same for a decade. <laughs> you know? He goes in chest day, he flat benches 315 for six to seven reps. He'll do a flat you know machine press, he'll do a a, a fly on a machine, you know that it's the same thing every single time. The weight never progresses. The physique never changes um, because he's stuck in that, that routine of comfort, you know? So I think for him, that would be a perfect example of, yeah, do we need to switch the exercises? Do we need to put him out of his comfort zone? Absolutely. You know, but I mean, we're talking about someone that's just trying to look good and enjoy the gym versus competitive bodybuilders, but that, you know, the same principles apply. Absolutely.
1: So when when we're, we are talking about um, like structure in the routine there, uh, a couple of questions on that. Um in your own training do you have a scheduled uh, overload and deload progression that you work yourself through do you have like i got 3 weeks 4 weeks where i'm going to push this intensity as hard as i can and then i'm going to dial it back to maybe 50 60% for a light week do you have that type of structure in your training i, I don't
2: schedule it as as concretely as that it's completely by feel i mean like i said when i you know yeah. prime example with the the, the tr- using the incline bench press but that will go systemically you know when i feel like my as everything within my, my exercises is no longer progressing, I've right. kind of, you know, or even start to regress a little bit and start yeah. in terms of strength, then that's a time to incorporate something like that, you know, and, and that'll be across the board. You know, I'll take a week like that where I'll reduce my training volume, intensity, even bring my food down to give my digestive system yeah. a break, I'll cut my protein by 50%. Um, you know, so these would be things that I'll kind of just use mm. that as a week to really give my, you know, my digestive system a break, you know, yeah reset my you know insulin sensitivity give my muscles and, and my tendons ligaments joints everything like that a little bit of break and then kind of fire back into it so um you know i think those 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 weeks are definitely needed um but i, I don't structure them as strictly yeah. as like four weeks on without a deload week every fifth right. week or something like that.
1: so it's like when you start to feel yourself functionally overreaching a little bit fatigue tired beat up then we know it's kind of take, yeah, take well, to up just, the uh,
2: just a, a complete halt or regression in progress and right. from a from a strength or intensity or volume perspective. You know, if I'm not hitting the same numbers I was for the previous four weeks. I mean, obviously people have bad workouts. I'm not going to debate that. You know, if people are trying number chasing every single workout and they're expecting to beat their numbers from the last workout, every single workout, they're going to be vastly disappointed because that's just not reality. But when you look at it as an average and a median from the increase of things, uh, I think you definitely should see continued progress in there. Uh, and when I feel like that has kind of come to a halt, then that's when I would incorporate it. Yes. Mm -hmm. And also going by feeling, you know, if, if I'm feeling like, you know, every time I do my bench press or, you know, or do a squat, my knees are hurting or my elbows are hurting or, you know, and I've tried to work through the, you know, the, the therapy stuff to, to work through it and been doing my stretching and my rolling and seeing my chiropractor, seeing my, my massage guy, and it's still like nagging things. Okay. Then it's like, yeah, let's take a time, get the information down, um, you know, get that stimulus down a little bit, you know, give my body some time to kind of catch up on these things. uh, And then we'll, you know, fire back into it.
1: Yeah. So, In terms of the phase potentiation for your training, like you have these, these strict hypertrophy blocks leading up to a show, but in in terms of, is it in your off season that you go into some strength work or do you even work in some like conditioning or general physical preparation work? Do you structure your training and get completely out of hypertrophy training at any point in time to sort of resensitize yourself to that stimulus? I mean,
2: always, always I keep some some sort of like, I always like to keep some sort of heavy lifting in there, you know, like for, to keep my strength, this, the, the goal is obviously always to optimize strength. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the more weight I can lift for the more amount of reps, uh, is always going to be the best way to grow. Right. I mean, right. you know, if I can lift 500 pounds for 10 reps or 400 pounds for 10 reps. I'm generally going to grow more on the 500. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I mean, you know, that's always the goal is to, to maximize from all as, you know, facets of that. So, um, but yeah, to, I mean, giving this past off season, for example, we did work through kind of a, a strength phase uh, that had everything k- kind of correlating, you know, from, you know, supplement usage to, to training to diet kind of work through a strength phase. And then once we felt that that strength was tapped out, then we worked more into hypertrophy phase. Yeah. You know, once we kind of, re, you know, got that strength to an optimized point, then we can use these, you know, these high numbers I'm reaching through, an, you know, more of a hypertrophy program. That's mm-hmm. the growth absolute most. Right. So that's kind of the the phase we went through this this past. i seen that that worked phenomenally for me.
1: Um, you talked a little bit about, you know, seeing the Cairo and some therapeutic stuff that you do with yourself. I'm going to be turning 30 years old in September coming up here and I've been training. I've been training very hard for going on 12-13 years now and you know there's there's things that there's things that you're just kind of constantly working through I mean there's like little little bits and pieces so I mean in your training how prevalent are injuries I mean is there any point in time you're like I feel 100% good or is there typically always something that you're kind of battling.
2: No, I mean, I've definitely had times where I feel like I'm hundred percent good. I mean, the older I get, obviously those days are a lot less frequent.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: you know, I'm not by any means old. I mean, I'm the same age as you. I'm turning 30 this year as well. You know, as I've got older, I've definitely felt that the need for the therapy is definitely, you know, more, more needed, um, you know, and, and my need to be stretching and rolling things and, and, you know, taking care of these things are, you know, I can get, you know, way, you know, far gone feeling really quickly if I don't kind of keep on top of these things. So, yeah. Um it's definitely something that, you know, obviously the harder you're training and pushing things to the the body's going to take a lot more toll on, those, on these things. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, you got to definitely be, you know, gauging that based off how you're feeling and, and doing them, you know, kind of based off that. So um, but I think, you know, really for anyone training at this level, I think you need to be, you know, at least getting regular, somewhat regular, you know, massage work, you know, rolling out things like this. Um, or, you know, over time, your body will just can become a pretzel, you know, so you want to yeah,
1: you want to yeah, you, you talk about the non sexy stuff that people don't want to do because it doesn't feel good or you don't get a pump doing it. Like my my general rule of thumb is it's a one for one type thing. Like every time you pick up a barbell, you get under a barbell, something like that. There needs to be the, the time that you spend afterwards with the soft tissue work, with the mobility, with the stretching, if you're going to break Humpty Dumpty down, you got to help them. you got to help build them back up again as well.
2: Absolutely. I mean, and people need to look at this too. I mean, the more time you're spent injured is time away from pro- making progress. Right. So yeah. if you spend an extra 15, 20 minutes a day, just like doing, you know, a bit of stretching, rolling out and, you know, like you said, the soft tissue work like that, you know, that could, you know, you're talking about 20, 30 minutes a day, you know, versus that could be two, three, four weeks out of training a body part, you know, something that's, you know, that's feeling injured. So, I mean, it's it's just like little daily battles to overcome the big one. Right. So it's like, it's, it's definitely something I think people need to be a lot more diligent, myself included. Absolutely. You know, I get in these routines where I kind of let things build up until it's like sore. And then I'm super diligent on it. You know? yeah. It's like, I'll let's go over six months and then I'll see a therapist five times a week until I feel good. And then I'll go sit, you know, but like, I, I've definitely fallen to that rut before, but, um, you know, it's definitely, you know, got to be consistent on these things and really,
0: you know, do yourself the the service, right. In any, in any sport, especially professional sport. I mean, like that, if you want longevity in the sport, mm-hmm you You need that consistent uh, like care for your body, for your for your instrument, if I may. yeah, um like you take a guy like LeBron James, who's obviously he's got the the funds to do so, but he spends millions of dollars a year on upkeep on his body. And
1: he's as he's aged, he's gotten better and better and better every single year. so there's a there's a maturity thing to that as well, though. I mean, and I imagine like especially as a young athlete, having a coach to kind of guide you through that is super important. I mean like what I find myself as somebody who's, you know, competitive and very physically driven. I get into a bad habit sometimes of you'll have something that doesn't feel great, but by the time you warm up and you get yourself into it, it feels okay. You get through the workout and it's a little worse. And then you're like, and then it's just, you kind of keep pushing yourself down that line. You can keep pushing it, keep pushing it because you want to be consistent and you understand the importance of like, you know, staying on top of it as much as you possibly can. But ultimately you push it down the line to the point where you've got something pretty serious on your hands. Yeah, um, so I want to chat a little bit with uh, with you about your nutrition. Um, I from externally from from a lot of the stuff that I, I I look at, I feel like at the highest level competitive bodybuilders they have a pretty consistent um, dietary process. I mean, in terms of the the meal frequency, the types of foods that they eat. So I didn't necessarily feel like we need to dive into that too much. I guess my my big question for you was: Do you feel like you have anything? It, with regards to your own personal tr- personal nutritional strategy that is unique to you
2: hmm. I, I mean I think with anything especially diet I think diet is so intuitive you know I think there's not really like you know you could have 10 guys that all start with the same diet and one weekend that you know that everything's completely different between all of them based off the feedback you're getting right right so I don't think I necessarily have one thing that's you know, super unique or anything to me, I think really good coaching, especially for bodybuilding comes down to just like a good eye and good intuition on these things, you know, and knowing what adjustments need to be made based off the feedback that you're getting, you know? Um, so I I think that's really what it comes down to the most. I mean, I'd like to say I had some, you know, groundbreaking, you know, (laughs) thing that I I was doing, you know, I, I think it one, obviously, you know, most of the work is in the athlete's hand from them and their diligence. And then yeah. after just me, you know, looking at the response that we're getting from the food that's in there and then making the appropriate calls. You know, I wouldn't say I'm necessarily like, you know, a high carb guy or a high fat guy or a high protein guy or a low protein guy. I mean, you know, there's there's guys that do all sorts of different things um, in, in that aspect. But. Uh, but no, I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it's really just gauging, you know, the response and the feedback and making the, the
0: proper adjustments. Right. Can you speak a little bit to the, I mean, you talked about having worked with Matt Jansen in the past and you're, you're working with your coach, Patrick. Now, can you speak a little bit to like the the differences nutritionally that you've experienced through working with these two different coaches, just their approaches with your body?
2: Yeah. I mean, the w- biggest difference is definitely Patrick is a much, much lower protein guy. He's definitely the lowest protein intake guy I've worked with, uh, that, you know, his, his perspective with things is, Eat as little protein as possible to meet, you know, demands from a recovery perspective uh, and then try and get in as much carbohydrates as you can without affecting body composition. Um, so, you know, that's that's really where we go from, uh, you know, it's, it's in the protein. And, and then it also gives you kind of leeway once you get into that prep state that you're not maxed out on the protein as the, as the carbohydrates come down, you can increase the protein. And that new yeah. stimulus from new, the new added amino acids will give you a good response to hold on to that tissue or even build tissue when you're getting into a, a deficit state, right? So, um, you know, that's really where we go is just get in as much carbs, as much fat as possible with as minimal protein to make sure we're adequately recovering. And I'm not saying like I'm not eating two gram, two ounces of protein meal or anything. You know, we're talking like, you know, with him, I might eat six ounces, where with Matt, I would be like eight to ten. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, so like for, with Patrick, I'd be more like a one gram per pound with Matt would be like 1.5 or two. So, um, you know, that's really the biggest difference. Um, but I mean, and, and I think that from my perspective is definitely, definitely improved I mean, just my overall feeling of well-being, you know, eating that much protein all the time and like that constant stress in your digestive system. Yeah, yeah. Very, very taxing. I mean, especially once you get to my size where you're eating that much meat, um, you know, like you're eating a few pounds of meat a day. I mean, that's that's very tiring. You know, <laughs> yeah, it causes extreme lethargy and people will be like, well, it's all, it's all the carbs that you're eating, you know, and all the, you know, the release from the carbs. But I mean, you ca- I've eaten a thousand grams of carbs in a day with like 100 grams of protein. And I felt amazing energy wise with yeah. even all that carbs. But if I eat 400 grams of protein a day with 400 grams of carbs, more balanced like that, my energy is just terrible. It's like yeah. try to break down all that protein. You need so much fiber intake to kind of account for all that protein. It's it's so mm-hmm. difficult. You know, yeah. and I don't think there's any. Like, I mean I've got good results doing both. I'm speaking you know strictly from my uh, overall well-being and I think you know especially from in, you know my training and my stomach going into training when you you know you feel like you're not trying to break down protein feeling bloated or extended heading into like a heavy training session that's worth a lot. I mean mm-hmm. we go there we get to the gym you just ate like a big meal you know 30 45 minutes ago and you're doing a couple sets you're trying to drink your intra workout and you're like fuck this is not <laughs> good you know trying to barbell squat and you feel like you're going to throw up because there's still food in there. You know, I think that's definitely increased my performance in the gym from not worrying about breaking down food while I'm trying to train. You know, Um, and yeah, I mean, my overall feeling of well-being throughout the day, I mean, you know, is definitely is definitely a plus.
0: I remember seeing a while back on on Matt's Instagram page, he was talking about like aiming for that two gram of protein per pound of body weight. And it's like when you take a guy like yourself who's knocking on the door of three hundred pounds in the off season, like that's five six hundred grams of protein in a day. It's like
2: people also need to take into account that carbohydrates are very protein sparing, right? So the more carbohydrates you eat, the less protein you need. Uh, So as long as you're filling your basic demands, which is, I think around that kind of one gram, you know, especially for people that are doing training uh, then I think, you know, if your carbohydrates are adequate, I mean, you're going to be more sufficient there. You know, I think then, then that's when it comes into play, like as the carbohydrates reduce with, we do like with Patrick, then the protein will intake, you know, intake will kind of come up to meet that deficit. So, you'll still be in a deficit, but you're kind of like, you know, coming round with one out with the other. Uh, Mm -hmm. So it definitely, I definitely like that for sure.
1: Yeah. I mean, it'd be really interesting, even from just like uh, when you think of total daily expenditure, um, I mean, you have the thermogenic effect of food, you have your TEF and for protein, that's like 20% you know, for like a red meat, that's almost 20% of the food calories that you're consuming. So if you're eating five, 600 grams of protein in a day, that's a significant amount of energy and stress that's being put on your digestive system just to break that down. So, I mean, it would, it makes good sense that you would be feeling pretty lethargic yeah. and, yeah, bete- I mean, and there's
2: there some guys that operate the way. I mean, I know if you get one like a Chad Nichols or Hani Rambot or some of these guys, they'll have guys eating 12 to 16 ounces of protein all year round, every meal. And I mean. You know, do some guys respond extremely well to that? Yeah. But yeah. I mean, one, I think that's, I mean, I, I hate to kind of speculate on this. and This is completely anecdotal, but I think with a lot of the guys that you're seeing that are having, you know, the, the distension issues these days, yeah. I think a lot of that comes down to eating these insane amounts of protein. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously other things that go into that, but when your stomach is constantly in that state of distress and distension like that, a lot of it sticks around, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, so I think that's definitely made a big impact on especially, you know, my the look of my of my midsection, you know, and my ability to keep it tight, even as I've grown to this amount. I mean, and I mean, perfect example here is, is Bumstead. I mean, with him, we've never had him, especially now that he has kind of some kidney issue stuff uh, that's lingering. I mean, you know, his protein intake is, is very minimal and it's made a, a good impact on keeping his waistline very tight, you know. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it, it, as long as you are remain that basic demand, I, I think the rest is is just, you know not necessarily needed, but some guys, and let's be serious. If the carbohydrates are are down and you're eating that much protein, your body's just going to be putting it through glucogenesis anyways. I mean, you're going to be converting that in, Sugar. at a large portion anyway. So, uh, I mean, as I think that you'd be better in that case to bring it down a bit and increase the carbohydrates or the fat intake or something like that. Um, you know, and, and from a bodybuilding perspective, the, the difference that's going to have in your look in terms of like a roundness and a fullness, having that added carbohydrates in and also kind of conditioning your body to utilizing those in an effective manner, you know, not only just through energy, but, you know, kind of in storage and and, and utilizing them effectively, uh, will definitely have a a good impact on your
1: look long-term in terms of your roundness and your fullness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, the nutrition uh, from, from somebody who doesn't understand bodybuilding, the nutrition is the hard part of that sport. I mean, that the training is the fun stuff. It's the easy stuff. Uh, I mean, I can guarantee there have been points in time in my life where I've really really tried to push the calories and it is in, it's an exhausting chore. I mean, the relationship that you develop with food when you're really trying to put on mass is just completely different. I mean, it's not some it's like it's a it's a chore at that point in time. Like you you have to look at it as your job. And I remember when I was starting as, as a trainer um, I was working and there was a guy who was a, who was a heavyweight bodybuilder. His name was Dustin and he was big. He was a big guy. He was maybe about two 60, 70. And I was early twenties at the time. And I remember sitting down with him being like, how do you put on weight? How do you put on weight? And he's like, you have to eat like you have to eat. And, and in, I was like, Oh, I'm eating this. I'm eating this. He's like, no, you don't get it, man. Like <laughs> you clearly just don't understand at that point in time.
2: You no, know, I mean and, and obviously yeah, like I I hear this this every single day with guys like, ah, oh, man, I'm eating so much and I'm gaining weight." And it's like, "I know this isn't what you want to hear, man, but you just got to eat more." And I'm not saying all of a sudden you need to shove a million you know calories in yourself and you know, you're you'll just feel like shit and your digestion will be terrible, but you need to be working in it progressively. And I also think a lo- a big thing that a lot of guys get into uh which I don't think is optimal is ends up just drinking their calories to try and get the calories in, which I think yeah. there is a place for that. And I think, you know, using a good isolate uh, or things like this in certain places, you know, when the demand is there is definitely, definitely a good idea. But uh, completely from a just an observatory perspective, drinking a thousand calories and eating a thousand calories is absolutely not the same thing. The thing. You know, yeah. From enzyme release to, you know, your body, you know, kind of how it digests everything and utilizes the nutrients and kind of, you know, the, the speed at which it digests Yeah, uh, definitely has a big impact on the look and, and the way that your muscles will grow. So, um, you know, it's, it, people need to focus on eating their food as much as possible. You know, you know, obviously things, shakes like this, they're supplemental. I think that's where people need to get the, the thing with this is that they're not food, like having a weight gainer or a protein shake, Absolutely have places, but they're supplements. They're not meal replacements. I mean, I know people make meal replacements like that, but I think that's more for an average person trying to just meet calorie demands when you're talking Mm -hmm. about bodybuilding. uh, I think the calories need to come from food 100%.
1: Yeah. I mean, you see people on both ends of the spectrum in terms of a food composition, like the types of food that they're eating. Uh, when somebody's trying to put on weight, you'll see somebody's like a is a calorie it doesn't matter where that calorie comes from. Like I can eat a box of donuts and then you'll have somebody on the other side of the spectrum, which is it's boiled potatoes and chicken breasts. And that's the only thing that you should be eating. So if, if, you know, if you got a young man in front of you and you're trying to coach him a little bit in terms of the food composition and how that should be broken down, like, like what type of allowance do you have for some of that? Let's just say quote unquote, sort of like dirty calories in order to up the, up the amount of energy that he's getting throughout the course of a day
2: yeah i mean this is going to be a thing that's going to be an ongoing thing with it with someone as well i mean you know obviously you start from my perspective i would always start with getting as much clean calories as you can but obviously allowing you know some allowance for meals off that just more for mental right yeah. especially if you got a young guy he's got a girlfriend or something i mean you're going to ruin the kids relationship if you never let him go eat out with <laughs> girls. But, yeah. i mean you need to have some of these allowances for these guys i mean if you're talking like the upper top top level pros i mean you can fuck the relationships i mean that's their choice at that point you know so yeah. if they're not eating anything off if that's what you're saying i don't really care at that point but um you know if you're talking for the amateur bodybuilding they're trying to progress um you know i'd say get in as absolutely much clean food as you can uh and then you know use the the kind of crappy cows to kind of add on to that but i mean it's i wouldn't say like there's any specific like amount to that i mean i uh, you obviously want to be getting as much clean food as you possibly can. You know, yeah. I think from a micronutrient standpoint and from just an overall health standpoint, digestion, everything, you're going to get a lot more out of the the better quality food. Um, and I would way rather someone gain two pounds of good quality muscle with less water and less fat associated with it. And someone gained 10 pounds where only one pound is muscle and the nine, the nine pounds is fluff and water and fat, you know? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think, and this really comes down to, you know, people being motivated by seeing scale things and, and stuff like that. As guys step on the scale and they've been eating a bunch of junk and they've gained 10 pounds and they think, wow, I'm growing, keep doing mm-hmm. this. And mm-hmm. they, Diet down for a show when they're the same weight that they were the year before, Um, you know, where I think if someone was to keep those calories a little cleaner, maybe only put on three or four pounds in an off season, but then when they diet down for a show, they're three or four pounds heavier. uh, Mm. I think that's going to be a lot more beneficial. And I think also when you're talking about a longevity standpoint, let's be serious, bodybuilding has a lot of things that are definitely, you know, a little riskier, um, you know, from a nutrition and supplementation standpoint. So I think if we can mitigate those risks and obviously not putting ourselves You know, eating crappy food all the time and, you know, putting ourselves at at risk for, you know, insulin disorders or, or, you know, heart disease, stuff like that. Uh, You know, obviously, we want to minimize that risk as much as possible. Are there going to be kids with just ridiculous metabolic rates that are going to burn through everything you're going to throw at them? Yes, there's guys like that. I mean, a a perfect example is a a pro bodybuilder named Roman Fritz. This guy is like 2% body fat all year round. You know, he eats anything he can get his hands on and he still looks like that. You know, that's a guy where, yeah, I mean, at that point, do you need to just start shoving calories in his face of mm-hmm. all angles? Probably. Yes. Um, you know, but, and, and definitely, I think in that case, you'd need to really, really, really reduce his training volume as well. You know, and I think that is a big thing as well for these younger guys is where they have a hard time growing is their training volume is insane. These guys think they need to be in the gym for two hours, do every single exercise they can think of for a body part. And then their calories can't meet their energy demand, like their output. Right. Um, so I think that would be the biggest thing I would do is, you know, get in as much clean food as I can, bring down the training volume a lot, a, a mm-hmm. substantial amount, um, you know, until I start to see some change in, in weight and, and muscle tissue there. And then I would increase the food in correlation as I would increase the, uh, the training volume, you know? So, I mean, the calories are only as good as they are to, to meet the demand of your training. I mean, and if, if you can't get the training in or can't get the food in, I mean, one needs to be altered. So, um, You know, and I think that's definitely the biggest thing. People overtraining and under eating. So I would bring down the food and and try and get as much calories. If that means doing half the volume just to get in the same amount of calories, well, you're going to be shortening that deficit by a lot by not burning as many calories in that crazy amount of training and really just make the most out of the sets that you're doing. Um, You know, that's kind of the perspective I would take on it.
0: Ian, it's really funny, man. Like I see a lot of, um, you see pretty prevalently in the fitness industry that when someone's like, What would be your go-to cheat meal people have like oh I want to go to this place for this burger and then I want to go to Krispy Kreme for the donuts they have like a list of stuff they want and I know you're somebody who will go you have this like strength of resolve like no other you'll go like an entire prep without a cheat meal and I've seen when people ask you like oh what do you want to eat like what's the first thing you want to go eat you're like Like I'm, I'm good.
2: (laughs) I I don't really know what this has been. I I think maybe it's, you know, my upbringing, but I wouldn't say because my sister's not quite the same as food with food as I am, but I've just never in my life. And I think in bodybuilding, this has become somewhat, it's an asset and not all at the same time, because I'm not a big eater. Like I don't like to eat lots, but I also have a very, very easy time having absolutely no emotional connection to food, Mm -hmm. you know? So like, I, I'm not someone that's like, Oh, I eat this tasty food. I feel good. And that's like Mm -hmm. where people get in that, like you know cyclical thing of like you know eating crappy food to get some kind of emotional response out of it where i've never ever had in my life really you know i've never been like ooh, if i eat this this is tasty and i'll feel good and this is nice to have like i don't have that connection you know it's also i've spent so many years eating so much food like you said earlier mark you know your relationship completely changes with the food yeah uh, you know? So when I've been eating that much for so long, it's like most of my year, there's been absolutely no room for extra food. You know, I'm like when you're, you know, eating that much all the time, even eating a bowl of ice cream feels like a chore, you know, it's just more food. Like, are you fucking serious? You know? So once you get kind of in that for so long, you know, you really start to lose any desire for anything other than what you absolutely need to be eating, you know? Um, You know, so it's, it, it, yeah, it's definitely a, a weird relationship I've developed with food. But, I mean, I think it's definitely a bit of a positive thing when it comes to dieting for meal shows. Because, I mean, I could absolutely eat, eat on diet all year round with not one cheat meal. And I would be not even faced by it at all. You know what I mean? Obviously, like I said, going back, though, like, yeah, you know, Melissa's not the same as me. Her and Chris are foodies, you know? Yeah. Uh, if you want to go out and eat once in a while, and you know, will I indulge that just to, you know, happy wife, happy life? Sure. But, um, you know, it's not like – it's not something that I would ever, like, you know – like uh, get super pumped about by any means
1: yeah that's that's so funny that reminds me of a story um ben told me about when he was on prep and when he would be super depleted and super tired he would have like an out-of-body experience like all of a sudden he would find himself in the car driving and he'd be like (laughs) standing in standing in like the bakery aisle of the grocery (laughs) store like looking at the donuts yeah (laughs) completely
2: (laughs) this is most people though because i mean most people do have some sort of like you know, connection like that with food, that food's going to make them feel better. It's going to make things that, you know, better like that. Um, you know, so when they get in these tough times like that, I mean, I think a lot of it, yes, yeah, sure. From a, you know, being in a super big deficit and you're being just hungry, but I mean, there's a difference between being hungry and, and just like wanting to eat good food, you know, because you know, you're going to get some response from that tasty food that you're not going to get from eating your chicken and rice. Right. Yeah. Um, so I think that's the the biggest thing that people need to you know, really just get a handle on from a bodybuilding perspective is to to really kind of take yourself out of that, you know, emotional reliance on food, you know?
0: Yeah. yeah. Just put yourself to bed or something. <laughs>
2: yeah. or just understand that like this feeling is okay. You know, like to feel like this and to, to, to crave food, to be hungry, That this is, that's a normal response to have as a person, you know, it's not, you're not like weird or you're not weak or you're not you know, like being over by having these, you know, these feelings, it's completely normal. You need to just be aware of the feelings and then the decisions you make from there are really what make the big difference. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think to go to the bakery and sniff it all day. I'm all for it. Just don't eat anything out of it. You know, <laughs> if you want to go look at it or sniff it or chew it up and spit it out. I mean, I don't really give it I mean, whatever people need to do to to cope with those things, I'm okay with. But at the end of the day, you're still the one making the choice whether you put it in your mouth or not, right?
0: Yeah, I think that's like oh, you can almost apply like a blanket statement with that. Just to weight loss in general, is people are people who have never dieted before. They're they're used to always being able to fulfill that hunger cue whenever they whenever they're hungry, right? It's like I'm hungry. I'm going to go get something from the fridge and eat. Well, all of a sudden when you're dieting and you're finding yourself in a caloric deficit, like you said, it's completely natural and normal to feel that like desire to, to go get food. But it's like potentially the first time in your life that you're not allowed to go fulfill that need and have that food. And, uh, I think like, it's something that people really need to learn, like you said, to get it, to get a handle on that and understand that this is going to happen. However, keep your focus on what the end goal is here. And like, You'll be a lot happier at the end if you don't shove that donut in your mouth yeah. right and now. And
2: going back to the thing I've been hammering down this whole time, too, is like people are result driven. I mean, and I think for me, it's become a lot easier when I've done a bunch of preps and had no off, you know, cheat meals off or anything like that, or being 100% diligent on my prep. And I know what results that will yield, you know? And even yeah. if we're talking, yeah, is me eating one cheat, like me slipping off my diet one time in a 12 week prep, gonna change what I look like on stage? Probably not. Let's be serious. But these things aren't just one-time things. Usually, people don't. Yeah. These are routines. People get into these things, and then they also start to get into that mindset. It's like, well, I, I did this last week, and I looked this. I looked good this week. My <laughs> coach said my progress pictures were still good this week because the coach didn't know. You know, I don't. You know, I don't know what you're eating, and you still look better next week. Well, yeah, sure. I mean, I'm going to tell you to keep doing what you're doing, or you know, we'll keep going this way. So then you get into your head of like, well, I got away with it this week. I, I can have a little. You know, this week and it'll be fine. But like, that's when it starts to become an issue. When you're talking about, you know, adding you know, a hundred calories extra a week and then two weeks and three weeks and four weeks, you do over that a 12 week prep mm-hmm. and that could equal the difference of a pound or a pound and a half or two pounds of body fat that on yeah. stage under those lights, it's going to be a big difference, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think that's really what it comes down to.
1: And it's really it's really that resistance that you feel. It's like, you know, you, you have you have a barrier and you overcome that or like whether it be you're with your nutrition or whether it be with your training, that ultimately that's what it's all about. Like the, in the self-improvement at the end of the day, you, you face an obstacle, you overcome it. And, and that's what's going to make you better long term.
2: This is the thing that I really like. To, and I I think people that look at it from this perspective, have a really good six, success with this too, is looking at when you're in that hungry state as like taking it as a challenge, you yeah. know, like when I'm feeling like this, like I know I'm burning body fat. I know I'm improving. You know, I know that if I withstand through this and get, you know, to the next day and then the next day after that, and the and next day after that, I'll keep getting better every day, every mm-hmm. day, every day, you know? So you need to like, look at it as a positive thing, not a negative. I don't look at it as like, er oh, I'm so hungry. I need to eat. I look at it as like, yeah I'm hungry this is good like it's working you know like yeah. we're burning body fat and like I take that as a challenge like how many, how long can I withstand this can I do it a week two weeks you know yeah. here's a point where yes yeah, starving yourself forever is not going to be bodybuilding isn't a starving competition of course um you know but in the times where it is the goal is to be in that deficit to be pushing the body fat you know I think you need to look at it as a challenge within yourself just like you said with training you know it's like the, you're challenging yourself to get that extra rep push through that pain you know push through that that feeling that you know is not you know, uh, not comfortable, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and pushing through that discomfort because that's really in bodybuilding is, you know, where the results are made is in that last couple of reps and that, you know, pushing through that hunger. That's really where, you know, the the separation lies, right?
1: Yeah, we all have that voice. We all have that internal, like I call it the inner bitch voice. That's like the the little voice of doubt. Like if you're in the sauna for like the last five minutes, you don't want to be in there. It's like just get out. It doesn't make a big difference. Or I've done three sets of back squats and I have a prescribed fourth set, and you and there's that little sort of like bitch voice in your head. That's like eh, maybe I don't have to do this last <laughs> set. And it's the, excuses. It's like well, yeah, my on my second
2: set, I. I said, yeah. PP, so I don't need to do the four set. Exactly, or, oh, yeah. like I, you know, I I did one extra set of leg press earlier last week. I did, I last week I did five <laughs> to four, so it, it's like this week I only need to do three. Yeah. You know, yeah. so like you find whatever rationalization you can uh-huh. in your mind to excuse doing the work. But you know, if people start to look at these things as a positive and as a challenge to yeah. overcome, I mean, they'll they'll see way better progress in their physiques. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, and every time you overcome that voice, it diminishes and it diminishes and you become stronger as a person. And I think that's one of the things that fascinates me most about bodybuilding is it's not just a – it's not just a, for like a couple hours a day during the training i mean for it's it's for like 12 weeks 16 weeks or i mean it's it's all the time like it never it never stops right it's like whether it be the nutrition whether it be the sleep the recovery the training that voice has got to be ever present in from so many different angles mm-hmm. coming at you like as a bodybuilder
2: yeah i think that's the thing like you said like you know over time it diminishes and you know it gets to a point where that just becomes You know, your routine, there's no second thought about it. You know, I mean, it's going to become a lot easier for these people when they've done it and they've been consistent, they've seen the results, you know, and all these things have compounded, right? You know, it's you've been consistent, you've seen the results, your sleep is good, and then it just becomes a second nature to you. I mean, for me now to eat off diet would be more difficult than it would be for me to eat on diet from a mental standpoint. You know, I, I, if someone was like, don't eat anything on your diet today, just eat whatever you want, I would just end up eating my diet because I wouldn't know what else to do with myself. (laughs) I'd be like, okay, well, I'll just eat my six meals. Like, I don't really, you know, it's like, I wouldn't know what to do. You know I mean? Is that probably verge of eating disorder? Who knows? Maybe. (laughs) But I mean, you know, from a, from a mental standpoint though, I mean, you know, you'll overcome that and it just becomes a second nature. I mean, I don't think at any point now. You know, it's never a chore or difficult for me to eat those meals. Like, yeah, there are times where I'm full and it's hard to get them down. But, you know, I don't wake up every day like, oh, I got to eat these meals. It's like I just know I have to eat them and I just do what I need to do because I did the day before. And like you said, it also becomes easier the longer you do it because also the longer you do it, the less you want to break out of that routine because you've been so successful with it. You know, yeah. if I've been eating perfectly on diet for 12 weeks, I'm like, well, I've been perfect for 12 weeks. I can't fuck it up now, you know. Mm, yeah like i I, you know it's like i can't do i've been so good like you know if i mess it up now it's like it ruins that kind of that perfect streak so you know you you want to keep that going as long as possible for sure
1: yeah um oh yeah one thing that i was always curious about so let's just say you, you know you're at the olympia you're standing backstage and you're there with like the craziest physiques in the world and when when i see all those physiques i'm just i'm absolutely blown away by them or who's the one or two guys that when you see them, you're just like, holy fuck, look at that guy?
2: Uh, ooh. uh, Roly Winkler in person is definitely very impressive to see. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's just like, he's just big, like thick, round, nice muscle, really looks really impressive in person. Um, uh, I don't know if you guys know who Michael Lockett is.
1: No, off the top of my head.
2: If you, you could pull him up on Instagram or something, but. He is, I would say, from a a bodybuilding standpoint, from genetics, I would say absolutely the most genetically gifted bodybuilder on the planet, bar none, miles ahead of everyone else. Uh, You know, you just – like, he – I think he's actually been tested has some kind of myostatin. (laughs) He's weird. Like, you know, you look at him and you can see it even in his face. Like, something's, like, a little funky, you know. Uh, But, yeah, I mean, he in person is – hands down the most impressive. He's not an amazing bodybuilder by any means. I mean, he's good. He's an Olympia bodybuilder. I mean, you know, he'll win Chicago pro every now and then, you know, he'll be, you know, at the Olympia, but usually be like a last call out guy at the Olympia. So he's an elite level bodybuilder, but he's no mean like a top five at the Olympia. But you see, even at the Olympia check-ins, anything he is, he makes Phil Heath look like unimpressive. You know, (laughs) just from like a size standpoint. No, he's, uh, it's hard because he, he's not as big as, you, as he appears to your eyes, like, I mean, I think he only competes at like 235 or 240, but if you were to see him, you'd think he's 290. I mean, something about him, like, just the quality of his muscle and like the shape and the roundness and the density and the detail of it. And he walks around, I'm, I'm not even, not even a word of a lie, off season eating one meal a day of, you know, takeout food will have most strided glutes you've ever seen in your life. Like, <laughs> the, the leanest guy you've ever seen in your life. And does nothing to look like that. That's just, like, what he looks like all the time. You know, his body just is so, something completely different. I mean, you it's know. Alien it's, it's
0: DNA. Yeah.
2: Complete complete alien. I mean, he's one person. I remember when I did my pro debut, Orlando Pro 2015, uh, he came second in that show. Fuad won the show. Uh, Michael Lockett was second. And I remember… You know, I'd come off an amateur show. I'd never lost an amateur show in my life. I'd wipe the floor with everyone, every amateur show I'd ever done. We won every overall, won everything, you know. I show up at my first pro show, walk into the athletes' wing. First guy I see is Michael Lockett. I'm like, what the fuck? Am I <laughs> you know, I was like, I thought I knew what I was, you know. I mean, how I beat Michael Lockett now at this point in my career. But, I mean, when you first see a guy like this. You know, it, it compl- it's so unmotivating, especially when you're already at the show and it's like, shit, like this guy's going to wipe the floor with me, you know? Yeah, right. So, I mean, he was – that was the, the biggest, like, awakening I've ever had for sure, you know, stepping into that that athletes' meeting in Orlando and just seeing this guy, you know, just wearing a tank top to the athletes' meeting. I think he was eating, like, Olive Garden or something, you know? <laughs> just, like, carving up, eating Olive Garden, like, takeout or something. You know, like, eating a bread roll or some yeah. shit. Just has absolutely no – you know regard for like proper dieting protocols or training or anything like that like that. I mean you know even I think he posted a picture on his Instagram the other day, uh, and he was like, "Oh, you know, blah, blah blah quarantine physique, haven't trained in two months or something, and he looks like he must be six, five, six percent body fat, like crazy abs, Rama, is he definitely downsized? Yeah, he looks like he's only probably 225, but I mean, he looks ridiculously good, yeah. you know right see I mean, is it like if I stop training? I wouldn't necessarily lose a ton of weight. I would just like get soggy, you know, I would look like deflated, uh, you know, and kind of like flat and soft where he just looks leaner and smaller. He looks ridiculous, you know? Right. Yeah. It's just absolutely the freakiest guy I've seen. I mean, obviously there's guys like, you know, you see someone like big Rammy. Yeah. I mean, big Rammy is gigantic. I mean, you know, there's no doubt when you see him, it's kind of like, wow, that's a big dude, but it's not the same kind of like, it's just like big but of a very normal looking muscle if that makes sense like mm-hmm. there's not any like crazy roundness or pop to it or deep separation or like you know any kind of like crazy like when you look at phil everything's like so round and popping in detail like the muscles like hanging off the bone you know or like michael lockett like the muscles like so 3d Ramsey's just really really big i mean yeah it's impressive but i mean i've also seen lots of big guys in my life you know so it's yeah like, I mean, yeah, someone like Randy, I mean, he'll be at the athlete's meet wearing like six XL sweatpants and they're like tights on him, you know, yeah. But, like you see that and you're like, Jesus Christ, that's a ridiculous set of legs. Um, but yeah, when you see him backstage, like it doesn't give you that same kind of like wow factor that some other guys that are way smaller seem, you know? So yeah, I'd say probably the two most impressive Michael Lockett being the clear number one. I think anyone who's competed with him will absolutely agree with me on that. I don't think there'll be any debate there. Um, and then, yeah, I would say Roly is a, is a, a number 2 for sure cuz i mean he always, he's just like he's very thick i mean uh also i i i never competed against him um but i saw him the first olympia i ever went to uh i was working a booth right across from him he was at evogen at the time um and he was working a booth right across me it was justin compton uh when he was like in his prime this would have been 2015 so he would have won uh, orlando pro that year or sorry, no, this would have been twenty fourteen, so he would have won Orlando. I did twenty fifteen Orlando. Um and this was like his big come out year. And I saw him at the Olympia Expo, like walking around dragging one of those like little wheelie suitcases full of food. I mean, <laughs> he was to this day still probably the biggest person I've seen. I, I'm sure I've seen guys at way more. I mean, I've seen Prime Ronnie Coleman, these kind of guys at, you know, events and stuff. Um, guys that probably way more, but, but just from a impressive at an expo standpoint, I mean, the guy's arms are gigantic, his calves must have been thirty inches. I mean, like just the most like <laughs> thickness like front to back thickness you know yeah
1: yeah
2: um you know like he 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 must have been 45 inches from front to back you know so like that that was just like that was probably i saw that and i was like holy shit you know and then i had to work the whole weekend standing right across from him so by the time <laughs> i'm I like the puniest guy ever So i'm like looking at myself <laughs> like, uh, you know and i turned pro like this was right i turned pro 2014 so i hadn't competed as a pro yet Um, But I went to the Olympia that year because I got a contract with flex magazine when I turned pro. So then I went and worked the flex with that first Olympia. So, um, yeah, he was, he was right there. And that was like another Michael Lockett moment of just like, geez, I'm way out of my depth here, you know? Awesome.
1: Yeah. That's so funny. I mean, like, do you at any point in time have a bit of an imposter syndrome? Like when I look at myself in the mirror, a lot of the times, like I don't see size. Like I see the same 18 year old kind of scrawny guy in the mirror that like originally started motivating me to lift. Like when you look at yourself, I mean, do you have perspective from where you're at or like, do you find yourself like still sort of in the mentality of this is what I have to improve? Just kind of like uh, observing yourself.
2: Yeah. I mean, when I look at myself, like same as you, like, I I think I have a very mediocre physique and I I don't even think I'm big. Like I feel like I'm 195 pounds. Like I don't, I'm a (laughs) horrible guy, you know, like, I don't feel or look at myself like i like obviously other people see me um but this all comes back to like i've lived in this skin my whole life I, the progression has been very slow for me so it's like i've, I've kind of adapted to it as it's as it's come but so i really i don't see the changes the same as everybody else does but um you know yeah like for sure you know sometimes obviously when you're seeing these other bodybuilders and stuff you know going back to the social media and i see these other guys that i compete against guys that i even beat regularly you know guys that I beat every single show I've ever done and I'll see their progress pictures. and I'm like, and then I like to think about like what I feel like right now. I'm like, man, like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not anything like these guys. Like what the <laughs> heck? Like, you know, like what am I doing? But then I'm like, yo, I just whooped this guy's ass. Like the last <laughs> week, <laughs> you know, I was like first call out, like fighting for first. And these guys were like third call out and it's like, right. you know, so I mean, you need to take those things with perspective for sure. I mean, you know, especially from a bodybuilding standpoint, like being a competitive bodybuilder, like, like all like we said all that looks matters is what you look like on the day of the show right yeah um you know and it's it's i need to sometimes take a step back and like look at my old stage pictures and be like hey you know you're not you're not what you think you
1: are in your head you're actually
2: a good bodybuilder you know yeah so sometimes you need to kind of take a take a step back from that
1: for sure for sure Um, so you got something no um so you're you're 29 right now Ian. you're coming into the prime of your professional bodybuilding career right now um you know, one of the things that that I find interesting is, you know, there's a there's a certain passion that somebody needs to, in order to maintain excellence in their life. Like, have you ever thought about what is going to be the trigger for you that like when you decide that it's time to downsize, that you're going to step away from bodybuilding? Is it going to be like a, a physical feeling for you? Is it going to be your ability to compete? Have you ever put any thought into that?
2: Um, sorry. Yeah. just So what, like what's going to be the toughest thing for me, you mean?
1: No. So like, like from where you're at right now, I mean, you're, you're in like the prime of your, of your professional career. Yep. What's going to like, um, and you know, you're, you're in your best right now. What's going to be the moment for you in time where you decide that it's, it's time to start downsizing my oh, physique okay. time to start stepping away from bodybuilding.
2: Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think one, whichever comes first when I'm not improving year to year mm-hmm. and sorry, I'll preface this with one saying I'm completely healthy. Okay. Yeah. So we're saying in a world where there's no health issues internally, perfect. internally, everything like that. Okay. We're speaking in a perfect world just from a, a mental standpoint. So one, either when I'm not progressing and my placings or my physique, I can see definite regression from the previous competitive years mm-hmm. or two, I'm just not enjoying it. You know, at yeah. the a point where I'm like doing a prep and I'm like, uh, like I don't want to do this. I don't, you know, if it's like where I don't enjoy, the process i mean and like we talked earlier there's always gonna be days that you don't want to do i mean yeah is there days where you don't want to eat your six meals or don't want to train you're tired or whatever yeah obviously we all have those days but you need to do it anyways when it gets to the point where i start not doing them anyways you know where it's like uh, i'm not going to train today because i'm tired where now i would still train anyways you know yeah i know I, i push through those days of the mental barriers or it ever becomes a point where it doesn't that it doesn't seem as important to me where I don't mind doing that and skipping the things or not having a meal or not being as, you know, as much dedication love towards it from a mental standpoint, or I'm just plain not enjoying it anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's definitely the time to step away. Cause I mean, that's just when it, that's when you get into that routine of guys doing it way past their prime. And I mean, causing way more health issues than needed. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we've all seen bodybuilders that competed, you know, way past when they should have. And their, their physiques have just completely degraded, you know, and then they retire and then they have having a stroke a year after they retire or something, you know? So, yeah, I mean, you need to definitely, you know, definitely, you know, keep mindful of those things for sure. But yeah, I mean, depending on healthy, you know, I think I, yeah, I I think what would come first would probably be me just not enjoying it, to be honest. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think that for me, just knowing introspectively, like, you know i think i would probably end up not enjoying this you know and doing this lifestyle and just wanting to like live a little bit of a different life Yeah, uh, i would uh you know from just not progressing anymore in the bodybuilding i think i still have a lot of room to grow in a bodybuilding perspective uh but i think that from a mental standpoint i think that would probably come first for me
1: yeah i mean the 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 place that question came from is i i mean i can draw a comparison between being like a bodybuilder and being like a pro bodybuilder and a pro fighter mentally both of those things are very taxing all the time. Like if you're fighting people for a living all the time, that's a really hard and you have to be in a certain mental place to do that at a high level. And you see it all that happen with fighters all the time where they're not, they're just not in anymore. They don't want to be doing it. And I feel like it's really got to be similar for bodybuilding as well, because it is such an all encompassing lifestyle type of sport. Like you have to be mentally all in and a certain point in time, everybody's going to have a trigger that it's time to take a step back from that.
2: Yeah. I mean, and uh, obviously, you know, I'm getting to the point now in my life where, you know, I do want to have kids. Melissa yeah. and I are you know, at some point while well, I want to. And, you know, I think, can you be a, a good bodybuilder and still be relatively involved as a father? Sure. I mean, there's people that do it, but I also know that I'm not naive to think that bodybuilding is a wildly selfish sport in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I think that kind of comes into play a bit. And also, you know, from just like a, a longevity standpoint too, I mean, you know, I I do want to you know, I want to be around for my kids. I want to live to be 60, 80, 90, a hundred years old, you know? So, um, you know, it's obviously those things are always in the back of my mind, you know, from just a health standpoint and being aware of that. Um, you know, I'm not naive to the, the tax and, you know, stuff that bodybuilding has done, but yeah, I mean, just from a enjoyment standpoint too. I mean, I think there, there'll definitely become a point where you know, the, the enjoyment kind of dissipates from that because, you know, keeping that mental mindset for decades, it becomes very taxing, right? For sure. Being that in that on switch all the time, you know, like, especially with bodybuilding, like there's no time where it's really like off, you know, like, especially if you want to do it at this elite level, Yeah. you know? So I think staying in that kind of mindset over time definitely gets very tiring. Um, and you know, and there's also things I want to do in life, from a, you know, enjoyment perspective that are very difficult to do when I'm this size and this big. I mean, you know, do I want to you know be able to run around with my kids? Do I want to go snowboarding and skiing and stuff again? You know, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, that stuff I can, I could still do now, but I know I would enjoy a lot more when I'm not worrying about eating my meals or getting training in, you know, like if I can go a day on the ski hill and eat one meal the whole day and not worry about working out. And, you know, that's a lot more fun than when you got to get off the, the lift every 45 minutes to eat a fucking meal, you know? <laughs> Yeah, you know, I mean, there's there's things like that that I, I obviously want to have in my life while well, I'm not too old to do them, um, you know. So I think that's that's definitely something I think about, and you know, like before uh, bodybuilding, I mean, track and field, like running, was my my first love from a from a sport perspective, you know. And there's still lots of things I'd like to, you know, I don't think I'm going to have a true competitive track career, but I mean, would I like to get down to size and be able to, you know, do a bit of running just for you know a, as a hobby and stuff like that, just to train there again to have something to put my energy into? Absolutely, but. Um, you know, so there's things like that, that I still have that I want in my life while I'm not too old. So I think there'll become a point where that will outweigh my desire to bodybuild.
1: Yeah. I mean, that was, that was, you, mm-hmm. you, you took it out of my mouth. That was going to be my next question. Like, what does a post professional bodybuilding life look look like for you? What <laughs> is it like from a professional standpoint, where do you see yourself?
2: I mean, I think, uh, once I retire from a competitive standpoint, I think I'll definitely put a lot more emphasis on my coaching business. You know, obviously right now when my, you know, competitive career is really my primary focus. The coaching is very secondary. You know, I take on a very limited amount of clients, um, you know, and and I do it more because I, I do enjoy it. And, you know, obviously it's a little bit of money, but I mean, if I want to do it as a completely as a, as a financial thing, I could definitely handle a lot more clients. Um, but I also want to have built that That rapport with people that I've already established, kind of as somewhat of a you know elite level coach, by the time that I do decide to retire, you know, because if I don't do any coaching and then I retire, it's like I got to build that whole foundation then, you know. For sure. So as long as I've been doing some and have some kind of you know, and and obviously it's paid off. I mean, I just I won an Olympia with Chris, which is now on my resume for the rest of my life, which is priceless, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, nothing nothing away from Chris. I mean, Chris won that Olympia himself. I mean did I help him a bit? Sure. I mean, I did the diet and the protocols and all that, but I mean, Chris is a, a genetic anomaly. So, I mean, it's, that's clearly not a hundred percent me there. So I'm not taking credit like that. Um, but I mean, things like that, I mean, that I, I've had the opportunity to kind of develop, uh, and build, I think we'll definitely pay dividends when it does come time to retire and put more emphasis into that. Um, you know, and also from a, a monetary standpoint, I mean, when you have these things on your resume, you can definitely charge a lot more for coaching, <laughs> you know? <laughs> You no, know, that's that's why I've kept doing some coaching while I bodybuild even though you know, when you're trying to compete and it ends up you're competing one weekend, you have three clients competing that weekend, it does get tough and there's times where I wish, yeah, I didn't have any clients right now. So my focus could be a hundred percent on my bodybuilding while the time is still there, you know? Because bodybuilding career is very short-lived, right? So, right. Uh, you know, there is times with that, but I also am trying to think in the long term with that. And yeah, like when this is all done, you know, I want to have some foundation laid to kind of trans, you know, transfer over into that. Um, so, you know, that's kind of where I've been looking at from a coaching perspective. Uh, but then, yeah, like I said, I mean, you know, there's other stuff I want to do. I mean, you know, like I said, Melissa and I do want to have children at some point, you know, I would like to get back into like running or cycling or something like that, you know, to stay healthy and, and active. Um, but I mean, I definitely am not, it will be definitely tough mentally, obviously, you know, when you walk around with this much muscle for so long, it's it's like an identity that's created you know like being the funny guy at the party it's like you're always funny and then every time you come around everyone's like ah tell us a joke like this guy's so funny (laughs) You know, I'm not funny today. You know, Like, I don't want to make a joke today. I just want to chill. Like, I don't want to be funny, you know? So it's yeah. like, you're always that funny guy. That expectation is always there. When you're not funny one day, everyone's like, yo, like, he's not even that funny, you know? Like, so it's like, you set that that precedent, your identity around it, and it becomes very difficult, you know? I mean, like, think of someone like Steve Love, like, perfect example. He's like the funny guy. Like, that's like the funny guy with the good humor, does all that stuff, does the acting, does the humor, you know? And it's like, people expect that from him. His identity is now created around being a comedian, right? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, something like that, I mean, it's, it, when you get away from that, it's definitely going to be tough. I mean, you have some sort of identity crisis at some point in there, I'm sure, you know, which is definitely difficult for a lot of bodybuilders, which I'm sure will be just as difficult for me. Um, but I think that's where a big thing comes into having some kind of, you know, physical goals to have it as an outlet. I think if you just want to come out of bodybuilding, put your your energy into completely just business, uh, and family, I think you're going to find it very, very difficult because your whole life has been centered around a physical goal. And if you have nothing physical, it's, it's going to be very, very hard for you, you know? So, I mean, I think there is lots of other things that are very important, but I think when you're coming from elite level sports like that, uh, anything, you know, basketball, football, track and field, you know, fighting, uh, bodybuilding, you know, I think you need to find some kind of athletic endeavor. Cause you're talking about Uber competitive, result driven yeah. individuals. You know they need some sort of outlet when they're done with that main thing to like create, you know, some kind of like drive and some kind of system for them. So, so for me, I think that yeah would be getting back to running or doing some kind of cycling or something like that which I really enjoy. Um, you know, I think that's kind of where I would go with that, and then set goals within that. So then now even like you know, getting to the end, you almost get excited because it's like, okay, you know, mm-hmm. something new to, to put my, you know, my energy into and try and progress in that because bodybuilding is kind of done for me now. So you need to create some level of excitement and something new to pass on to, you know, if you just kind of like walk out of it willy nilly, you're going to have a really tough time with that. You're definitely going to feel lost, you know, your whole training, you're going to, you know, and this, like I said before, the guys end up staying in it way too long, you know, they'll retire from bodybuilding but then They'll keep using heavy anabolics. They'll keep eating lots of food. You know, it's like, why are you still doing that? Like, this yeah. is but they're trying to maintain that that created image and, and uh, you know, external image of themselves yeah. um, just for appearance's sake when, you know, let's be serious. Those – what's the expression? Those who mind don't matter and those who matter don't mind, you know? Yeah. It's literally what it is, you know? So I think that's a thing a lot of bodybuilders or anyone at, you know, elite level sports really need to remember is that, you know, it's it's not just – there's life after it, right?
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's something that you said that was super interesting is how your identity is built around that. And I think that anybody that does really focus their life in on a singular point comes to the realization at some point in time that you do have to diversify the things that do interest you and that define you. Because like, what if you snap your leg? Like at what point in time, who are you as a person? Like if that is ever taken away from you. And so sort of having that long-term horizon, that long-term perspective of, you know, you know, what's this, what does this mean for me right now? And ultimately where is this going to lead me to? Uh,
2: And I know it can be so difficult, especially, you know, your, your life is so encompassed in being the best at something you don't want to think about anything else. And you also almost convince yourself of like, I need to put a hundred percent of my energy into this to be the best. I've thought that I've thought at times, like, fuck all the clients, fuck everything else. I don't want to do anything. I don't want to post on social media ever. I just want to eat, sleep, train bodybuilding, be the best bodybuilder ever. But that's like, where's that going to get me? You know, Is that really going to make me a better as a, as a bodybuilder? Maybe by 2% to have 10% added stress at some point, you know? So I mean, I think you you definitely need to kind of take a step back at points and really think of
0: of the long term things, like you said. Yeah, for sure. So it's it, it's definitely difficult, though. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, awesome, man. It's been it's been a slice having
1: you on. We've we've really appreciated your time, and you've had lots of good stuff to say. Yeah, Ian, I can't thank you enough for coming on, man. It's been awesome. I got to pick your brain on all this stuff, and uh, you really got to shine a lot of light uh, into the world of professional bodybuilding. Thank you so much for coming on the show today.
2: Perfect, guys. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it.
1: For anybody who wants to find Ian on Instagram, his
0: favorite place to be is at (laughs) IFBBIan, and uh, you got a unique spelling of your name, so it's IFBBIAIN. Yep. Yeah,
1: go there if you want to look real, real (laughs) smart. awesome man okay thank you so much